For they had sworn with all their heart, and had sought him with their whole desire. And he was found by them, and the Lord gave them rest all around. Well, good morning, everybody. I want to welcome everybody here in the room and those that are watching online as well. We're going to do something a little different at the end of the service. We're going to finish the service, then we're going to transition, but we're going to stay live on the live stream for about 15 more minutes. Pastor Steve Thompson is going to join me at that time, and if you'd like to post a question or a prayer request or something in the chat afterwards, that would be great. If you're in the room and you want to stay, you're welcome to be able to do that. But we want to basically take what would normally happen in the commons for interaction after a service and bring it into the live stream. I think that'll be just amazing to be able to connect that way. I also want to just address a challenge that we all have, especially when we're at home, with regards to creating sacred space. And I just want to encourage you to do whatever you need to to make this space sacred. Maybe you need to grab an actual copy of the Bible. Maybe you need to light a candle. Maybe you need to turn the lights down a little bit. Whatever it happens to be to step into this moment along with us, we want you to be able to do that because we're about to start our service today with a very sacred moment. I had the privilege after the last service, right over here off of the side of the preaching platform, to pray with a young man named David who's being deployed with the United States Navy in just a couple of weeks. And it reminded me again, as we've been doing all weekend long, this Wednesday is Veterans Day. As a former military kid, I'm so unbelievably grateful, not only for my father's service, but for the service of everyone who has protected our country and given themselves to our freedom and so we want to have a moment, whether you're at home or in the room, if you have ever served in any branch of the United States military or are currently serving in any branch of the United States military, I'd like to invite you right now to stand to your feet so that we as a church could express our gratitude to you and say thank you. So if there's anybody in the room that's a military veteran, would you please stand? There we go, right there. Could we just say thank you? Thank you very much. Awesome. Thank you. We also thank your families for their sacrifice as well. I had the privilege of attending some meetings a couple of weeks back. A futurist and an economist from a very prestigious Ivy League school presented the following reality. He stated that we are not currently facing one pandemic, we're, we're facing four simultaneously. He defined a pandemic as an outbreak or a product of sudden rapid spread, growth, or development. He said it could be either medical or societal. He mentioned that one pandemic is enough to bring a nation to its knees. The fact that we are facing four simultaneously is unprecedented. And as soon as you hear me start talking about that, stay hopeful and stay with me. This was his list of four pandemics. The first one is medical. That's no news to anyone as we face COVID-19. The second was Rachel. He said, currently we are confronting centuries of racial injustice with dreams of real change and the tension in our nation is both real and palpable. Thirdly, the pandemic of mental health. Currently we, be, we are being challenged by the emotional and societal fallout from all of the previous pandemics and it has created heartbreaking realities across our country. The fourth pandemic is financial. Currently, we are seeing the financial effects of the other three challenges, which is why this year's CTK blessing may be the most important year we have ever done as we seek together as a church to be somebody else's miracle. I saw it last night. Again, a family walked in. 
heard about the blessing. I watched them make a beeline for the green envelopes in the back of the room. They placed some type of offering in there, and I had just a moment to hear their story. Four years ago, they received a portion of the blessing, and now they were in a position to give back. I think it's so unbelievably beautiful when we do that. And I just want to reinforce for you again this year how important the blessing is. The blessing is for above and beyond financial giving, which leads me to answer a question that I have been asked multiple times over the past couple of weeks. Grant, in the midst of all the stuff that's going on, how's CTK doing financially? Well, let me just give you a quick update. In the early months of the pandemic, giving was very, very strong and we were so unbelievably appreciative. And then as the pandemic ground on, August and September became more challenging. It's more challenging in our family, just the same as it is in your family. And so as a CTK network and organization and as a church, we started reducing our costs as best we could. We started managing money in a way that we hope and pray always brings glory to God. And we are going to continue to trust God together. So for now, we're okay. And in the coming months, we're going to be challenged again to sacrifice and step up, not for our sake, but for the sake of others. What I can tell you is this, your generosity matters. So we've got four pandemics at the same time. And in the face of those threats, we also have opportunity. I call them opportunities because I believe the people who follow Jesus can bring hope and healing to every single one of these challenges. In the face of these challenges, there are three natural responses and one supernatural response that we have available to us. You probably remember the first three natural responses from your high school psychology classes. If you don't remember them, let me lay them out for you. Whenever a threat, perceived or real, comes against a human being, there are three possible responses. The first one is fight. So in some of us, a threat comes in and our response is to respond physically or verbally to the threat. You see the threat and instead of running away from it, you move towards it with aggression. That's fight. The second response is flight. You're thinking, I'm not fighting anybody. Your response is to run as fast as possible away from the threat. You see the threat and flee. And that can actually be a very wise choice depending on the situation. So fight, flight. And the third one, of course, is freeze. Your response is to remain completely still. You lock up and just hope that the threat goes away. Fight, flight, or freeze. I worked in northern British Columbia as a tree planter in order to get through college. I lasted exactly one season. The snow and then the heat, the bears, the bugs, the lack of showers. I once went 11 days without a shower. And when you are sweating profusely all day long, that is not a pretty sight. You take all of that together and then add backbreaking work on top of it. And it just about did me in. I lasted one season. I remember a night when I experienced all three of the responses, fight, flight, and freeze. I was awakened in the middle of the night by blood-curdling screams that was coming from the tent next to me. The tent next to me was occupied by two guys, Daryl and Lonnie, and they were screaming at the top of their lungs. I thought one of them had died. I bolted out of my sleeping bag, which is not easy when you're coming out of a dead sleep. If you've, ever, if you've never tried that before, you should. I fought with the zipper. I jumped outside. I grabbed my tree planting shovel. I was ready to fight. And then I thought to myself, what if it's a bear? And in a second, I went from fight to flight. I'm thinking, I'm not fighting a bear with a shovel. I'm going to run from the bear, and I'm going to be faster than anyone else in the tree planting camp so that I have a greater probability of survival. I took a step, and then I froze 
because another tree planter had walked outside with a powerful flashlight and they had illuminated the reason for the screams and the shadow on the side of the forest freaked me out. On top of that, it was 20 degrees outside. I froze because I was actually freezing. It was cold. All three responses in a millisecond. Fight, flight, and freeze. My friends from the tent next door stopped the entire drama of fight, flight, and freeze with their laughter. Because what they thought was a bear that was shaking their tent with its razor-sharp claws actually turned out to be a little itty-bitty baby porcupine who had gotten a hold of the guy wire of their tent and was chewing ferociously with his little buck teeth and causing vibration to go up the guy wire, shaking the entire tent. The vibration of those little teeth completely freaked out the guys inside of the tent and prompted three responses in me. Fight, flight, and freeze in a matter of seconds. Just this past week, I took some time away to experience some solitude and to connect with Jesus. I stayed at a, a little condo that was graciously given to me by the Moore family. Mike's sitting right over there. I woke up the first night. After both of these stories, I realized I really need to learn how to sleep through the night. Like I really do. My life would just be so much better. I woke up the first night a little disoriented, wandered down the hallway, got a glass of water, took a step down into the living room area and looked over my left shoulder and freaked out because there was a guy standing right there. Freaked me out. He moved, I moved. I went, ah, he went, ah. I was ready to run and then I froze because it was me in a mirror. Why they are still putting a wall of mirrors in those condos, I have no idea. That's like the third time that's happened to me in my lifetime and it actually needs to stop. Fight, flight, or freeze and I've walked with people through all three of these responses just in the last couple of months. Maybe you can relate. Some people are just sick of COVID, sick of the restrictions, sick of injustice, sick of the pressure, and they want to fight with somebody, anybody. They're just done. Others are so overwhelmed by the toxic nature of this election cycle that they just want to run away. Apparently, Idaho and Canada are the top two choices right now. And if they're not running to those two places, they want to run to their bedroom, cover their heads with their covers, and just pray that 2020 is over soon. Still others are frozen in fear, asking questions. What's going to happen to our country? Are we going to be okay? Is the virus ever going to go away? Are we ever going to be able to fully embrace each other as human beings, regardless of the color of our skin? And probably the most popular question, is life ever going to get back to normal? Those are hard questions. They are real questions, and the people of God have to answer them. Are we going to continue to fight for what is right in the face of tough challenges? Or are we just going to turn and run? Are we going to be frozen in our need to be secure? Or are we actually going to live out the truth of the statement of God is for us? Who can be against us? Are we going to press into the needs in our community and look after the least of these? Or are we just going to look after me, mine, and ours? I love the fact that there's another option available to the followers of Jesus. We're not limited to fight, flight, or freeze. In fact, I'd like to suggest a spiritual response. A spiritual response of faith. Fight, flight, and freeze are all verbs. I would suggest that faith is an action word as well. Think about it for just a second. Moses stepped into the Red Sea in faith, hoping and praying that God would open up a path. David stepped onto a battlefield to face a giant in faith with nothing more than a slingshot and five stones. 
Noah built a boat when nobody knew what a boat was in faith. Some of you came into a building today in faith. Some of you stayed home in faith. That's why I love Hebrews chapter 11. It's called the hall of faith. And in this amazing chapter, there's a list of real faith heroes, real people who faced unbelievable challenges, but instead of facing it with fight, flight, or freeze, they faced it with faith. Here's just a few highlights from Hebrews chapter 11. One of my favorite characters is a man by the name of Enoch. Enoch responded in faith to his transition from this life to the next. The Bible says that Enoch walked with God every day, literally. He actually went on a walk with God. Enoch's faith was so real and so tangible that he's one of only a tiny little handful of people that never experiences death. I love his story. And I kind of picture it this way. One day, like every other day, Enoch and God go for a walk. And at the end of the walk, God turns to Enoch and says, Hey, Enoch. Turns out we're just a little closer to my house today than your house. Would you like to come home? And Enoch says yes, and his faith transports him from this life into heaven. His last breath here is his first breath home. Another person in Hebrews 11 is Noah. Noah responded in faith to God's request to build a boat when there was no rain in the sky. Can you imagine that conversation? Hey, Noah, I need you to build an ark. What's an ark? You'll see. And the Bible says there's no rain, there's no water, there's nothing there that would actually require a boat. There's no need for a boat, but Noah starts building anyway, and his faith saves his family. And oh, by the way, his faith actually saved all of our existences as well. Abraham, he responded in faith when God asked him for the same sacrifice that God would ask of himself. I've always struggled that God asked Abraham to sacrifice his one and only son, Isaac. I struggle with that test because I'm a dad and I have a son. I picture Abraham walking with Isaac up the mountain, praying for a way out. I, I picture him taking his son and wrapping him in rope and putting him on an altar and drawing his knife. My brain asks questions like, did Isaac scream? Did Abraham scream? And I'm so thankful that God stopped the whole process and stopped Abraham from doing the unthinkable. And I'm humbled by this simple fact. God took his own test. When it came down into a choice between my broken life and the perfect life of his son, Jesus, I'm humbled by the fact that God chose me. And that humbling fact draws me into a life of faith that demands my life, my soul, and my all. The people of Israel are mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. And they respond in faith by stepping into the Red Sea and also when they're marching around Jericho. I mean, just think it, an entire nation has to believe in faith that God is in control to the point where they step into the center of the Red Sea and believe that even though they are surrounded on every side by water or the Egyptians who are trying to kill them, they still have the audacity to believe that God knows what he's doing and that they're going to be okay. And then they find themselves facing the walls of a fortified city. And God tells them, you're not going to breach the walls of Jericho with battering rams and the force of an army. No, you're going to breach the walls with marching, music, and your voices. And they did it in faith. And God made a way. 
Hebrews chapter 11 contains an amazing woman by the name of Rahab. She responded in faith when she trusted God with her future. Rahab, like so many of us, has a broken story and a broken past. She'd been used and abused by so many, but she refused to believe that the God of Israel would do the same. So she trusted God with her present and her future, and she and her entire family was saved because of her faith, because God made a way. And Hebrews chapter 11 wraps up with a description of thousands who've gone before us. Christian martyrs who would not recant the name of Jesus, who refused to give up or back off even when their life was at stake. And as they slipped from this life into the next life, the name of Jesus is what carried them to eternity in faith. I put it in your outline this way. Centuries of martyrs have responded in faith when paying the ultimate price. And now, right here in this moment, we are surrounded by their presence and their legacy. I want you to hold on to all of that history as you listen to the first three verses of Hebrews chapter 12. The Bible says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's throw off everything, everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You know, when I read that, my heart skips a beat. I believe this is truly a rallying cry for the surrounded and so many of us need a rallying cry right now at this moment in history. And we're going to start with this. Here's what the Bible tells us to do. If we're going to have that rallying cry, we need to acknowledge our cheering section. Right now you're surrounded. Last week we heard about Elisha's servant who walked out one morning and looked up and saw nothing but the Aramean army completely encircling them. He and the prophet Elisha were surrounded. Elisha's response was to walk out and say, we need to pray for you. We need to pray that your eyes will be opened. And when the eyes of the servant were opened, what he saw was not the physical Aramean army, but standing around them were angel warriors and chariots of fire. And this was his conclusion. There are more for us than against us. Some of us need to be reminded about that today. We are surrounded by an angelic army. We're surrounded not by a host of disapproving perfect saints, but a group of broken heroes of the faith who all needed God as much as we did. And now they are cheering every single one of us on to get to the finish line. And for the record, the finish line of your life is not retirement. Let me say that again. If you're not dead, God's not done. And none of us get to walk away at 65 and hope that somebody else does something for the name of Jesus. That whole group is here right now. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Hezekiah, Job, Deborah, Rahab, Jonathan, Ezekiel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, James, and Jesus. All of them here surrounding you, surrounding me. Oh, and for the record, standing around them are your loved ones who knew Jesus, who went before you 
And standing around them is a family of faith from Bellingham, Washington, one church, six locations, who are all cheering for you and for each one of us to not grow weary and lose heart. You need to acknowledge your cheering section. Secondly, the reason we're going to acknowledge them is because of what they're actually cheering for. They're not cheering for our mere survival. They're cheering for us to make ruthlessly hard decisions. The next verse calls us to ruthlessly identify anything that is hindering you and purposely cut it loose. Any sin that is not a politically correct word, it doesn't matter. It's a biblical word. Any sin that is entangling you, slowing you down, keeping you from sprinting across the finish line of heaven. Anything that's slowing you down has to be cut loose. It's got to go. Now more so than ever. Let's get really personal. That subtle racist thought that you keep tucked, hidden in the depth of your heart, it needs to go. That secret addiction that you excuse because, well, it's not hurting anybody but me needs to go. That apathy that keeps you uninvolved and uncaring and believing somebody else will look after the people at the mission. It needs to go. That selfish drive that keeps you wrapped up loving your money and addicted to your own security and making sure that everybody's okay as long as it's me, mine, and ours, that needs to go. That quiet judgment and contempt that keeps you looking down your nose at those people needs to go. That self-hatred that refuses to love the person that Jesus loved enough to die for, meaning you, that attitude, it needs to go. For the people of God, it's time to acknowledge sin for what it is. It's time to step boldly into a place where we don't just manage our sin through behavioral management anymore, but instead we ruthlessly identify it and we cut it loose and we cut it loose by bringing it to the foot of the cross in confession and repentance and saying, Jesus, I have proven I can't handle this, but you can. And then the Bible calls us to run our race, never taking our eyes off of Jesus, the founder and the finisher of our faith. In my 53-some years of living, here's what I know about life. This is a marathon, not a sprint. And it's not how you start, it's how you finish that matters. So each one of us is called to run with dedication and perseverance until we cross the finish line of heaven. I'm going to say it again. If you're not dead, God's not done. And while you are running, you're never to take your eyes off of the reason for your running. I think Peter belongs in the hall of faith. I love Peter. Peter was a hero. He also had a big mouth and got in trouble all the time. When Peter was walking on water, which is a miracle, by the way, he did amazing as long as he kept his eyes on Jesus. But then he got distracted by the wind and the waves. Anybody else been a little distracted by the controversies of today to mask or not to mask? Anyone been distracted by the election cycles? Anyone been a little distracted by any of the four pandemics that I mentioned at the beginning of our time together? In the midst of all of that, I believe Jesus would say to us the same thing that he would have said to Peter. Hey, Pete, look right here. Look right here. 
Keep your eyes on me. Oh, by the way, the wind and waves that are distracting you, they answer to me. I decide when a wave moves. I decide when the wind blows. I decide when snow falls. I decide when rain descends. I decide when you're wrapped in fog and when you're not wrapped in fog. All of those elements answer to me. So look right here and keep on walking. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Lauren, if you're scared, look to Jesus. Bruce, if you're terrified, look to Jesus. Kim and Angela, look to Jesus. Each of us has got to get our eyes off of this and up here because without that, we're just simply stuck with fight, flight, or fight. Who's the last and the next one? Trust like Jesus did that the prize is worth the pain. I did a full marathon one time. Never have to do it again. The pain of training and pushing through that wall that they talk about between mile 22 and 23. That was a lot of pain. It was a lot of time. But I can tell you, crossing the finish line made it worth it. They gave me a small plastic medal, (laughs) which is an interesting conundrum when you think about it. And I still have it. I held on to it. That was my reward for enduring 26.2 miles. Never have to do it again. One prize is enough. But I will actually hold that up and say, I have this level of accomplishment. I actually crossed the finish line. 26.2 miles. Each one of us is called to cross a finish line. I love the example of Jesus. The Bible says that he chose the path of joy in spite of the pain that came with it. He endured pain so we could experience the joy of an eternity with him. And he refused to give power to shame. The Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God, which means this, onto his perfect life, Jesus took the worst of us. He chose it, wrapped himself in it, died as a perfect sacrifice. And then three days later, rose to life again and took his rightful place at the right hand of God. And now he's calling every single one of us, surrounded by other imperfect heroes, to choose joy, endure the pain of life that just comes with life, to overcome that pain with hope, to laugh in the face of shame because you might be a sinner, but you know a savior. When we fully embrace that, then we can move on to this final encouragement. We need to battle opposition and weariness with the protection and the passion of Jesus. Anybody else in the room just a little fatigued these days? I mean, you're just tired. You're tired because suddenly you you have a classroom in your living room. You're tired because... You got laid off and you're not exactly sure where the paycheck's coming from. Maybe you're just exhausted because every time you open up another web page, there's just so much good news pouring towards you. So many of us are fatigued. And in the midst of that exhaustion, if we don't make a choice, we're going to get pulled underneath of a wave of exhaustion. Unless we make a decision, we need to start listening for the cheers. We need to acknowledge 
that cheering section. We need to focus our eyes on Jesus and only on Jesus. We need to make a decision not to get caught up in despair, but to actually choose hope. We need to look at the finish line, not as some temporary line when we reach 65, but instead it's a finish line when we stagger across the finish line of heaven completely spent in this moment. If you don't get anything else today, these are the words. They're not theologically deep. They're biblical. Don't grow weary and lose heart. Whatever you need to do to stay encouraged, stay encouraged. My friend Art Greco said these words a few weeks ago. He goes, Grant, there's always something great just on the other side of not giving up. There's always something great just on the other side of not giving up up. So today we want to come together in unity at the communion table. I think it's time for the people of God to put aside our petty differences and to come to the table realizing that while we all have sin in common, we also have something else in common. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one table. For those of you at home, I'm going to give you an opportunity to get your communion elements prepared. For those of you that are in the room, you can grab that little cup. We're going to need it in just a second. We want to pause on this weekend and just create some sacred space for God to talk to us. Before we come to the table, I want to encourage you to do something else. I'd like to encourage you to go for a walk with Jesus sometime in the next 24 hours. You might be surprised what happens in your life when you do and the lessons that he might whisper to you and the encouragement that might come. I know some of you are exhausted, tired. You're working so hard these days and you're just like, seriously, Grant, that's all you have for us? Go for a walk with Jesus? Yeah, I think it's a great place to start. And let me tell you why. Last week, I was blessed with an opportunity to just step away. Some great conversations. I can't speak for you, but Jesus talks to me when I run. If I go for a run, God has this conversation. He just talks. I usually whine and complain for the first two and a half miles and then I listen to him for the last two and a half miles and I always come home encouraged. So I'm staying at this little condo place called Snowwater and I go out for a run one morning and it's cold and it's beautiful. And I realized that I could run this little trail up to the Mount Baker Highway, cross over the Mount Baker Highway and there was this horseshoe trail that went all the way up the one side of the North Nooksack River. And the river was so unbelievably beautiful. It must have been raining up on the mountain because it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and more grand and more, and more ferocious with every single day. And I just kept thinking to myself, that river answers to Jesus. He could make it stop like that or he could make it boil over its sides just like that. So I went for a run on the side of the river and God met me there in some incredible ways. I ran around one corner and there was this elderly gentleman having a very vibrant conversation with himself. And I judged him for just a little bit until Jesus asked me a question. What if he's talking to me too? And I prayed for him and left him to his conversation. I ran a little bit further and a guy came walking around the corner, dressed completely in a dry suit, helmet, life jacket, kayak on one shoulder, paddle in the other, walking beside the river. And as I walked past him, I thought to myself, why are you walking? 
Like you're dressed for whitewater kayaking and there's white water right to your left. <laughs> My right, your left. Like what, why are you walking? And then I thought for a second, how many times have I gotten all dressed up for a great adventure with Jesus and instead of jumping in the water and going for a ride, how many times did I seek the safety of the trail and walk my way back home again when I should have just gone with the adventure? So I had a small moment of confession and repentance. I walked a little further and God illustrated it for me so beautiful. There were two guys standing right on the edge of the river wearing dry suits and helmets, no kayaks, no paddles. And they both just went, woohoo, when they saw me and jumped in the river. They were a search and rescue team training. They thought that was fun. I was going to call 911. I mean, but the only thing that stopped me was the fact that these guys were hooping and hollering their way as they were swept away by white water. Apparently for them, that was a really, really, really good way to enjoy a moment on the river. And I thought to myself and had a conversation with Jesus, Jesus, give me the kind of faith that if you told me to go jump in a river, I'd be the first one in the water. And then I walked a little further and communion that day for me was one drop of river water from the nooksack and a little pinch of granola bar. And Jesus met me at the communion table on the side of the river and it was so precious. So we want to give you an opportunity to do just that right now. Whether you're in a room or whether you're in your living room or you're in a closet getting as close to the router as you possibly can so you can stay with us. We want to invite you to come to the same table right now. I'm going to invite the worship team if they'll come back and join me. Because here's what we're trying to do. We're trying to get away from the church following pastoral instructions and getting more towards the place of you just do what God tells you to do and it'll work out really, really well. So I'm going to invite you in just a moment as, this, as the communion service begins that, that you just listen to the prompts of God and when the Holy Spirit says, remember his broken body that you'll take the bread. And when the Holy Spirit of God says, remember his spilled blood that you'll drink the juice. And that you will not just focus in on what Jesus did, but you'll also be filled with hope because of what he's doing. So whenever God prompts you to remember and come to the table where there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God in all and through all and for all, that you will have that sacred moment. And then if God prompts you to change your posture, that you would actually make that shift. You know, somewhere along the line, I think we were convinced that communion had to be only a somber, quiet experience. I don't think that's true. I think there are moments when we receive the gift of what Jesus did when we need to celebrate. Last week we introduced a little song to you. There were two lines. This is how I fight my battles. Just so you know right now, coming to the communion table, you're going to war. And that may be intimidating, but I want to remind you there are more for, than, for you than against you. The other line was it may feel like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. 
So we're going to take a moment and we're going to step towards the table at home and in the room. I'm going to encourage you when God prompts you to take communion, to receive it with gratitude. And then as the song begins to build, would you be open to changing your posture and stepping into that great cloud of witnesses today where Jesus resides as King and Lord of all right in the center. And may we worship him in spirit and in truth. So when God prompts you, communion is available for you, and then may we worship together.
I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. cloud of witnesses this week. Respond in faith. Pandemics have nothing on Jesus when we respond in faith. So let's walk in that power and in that gracious hope this week. God bless you. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks again for watching. We're so glad that you joined us today. Once again, we hope you'll get involved in biblical face-to-face -face community wherever you happen to be today. If you'd like more information about Christ the King Community Church, if you'd like to give online, or if you'd like to submit a prayer request, or even get connected in a small group, you can find out more about us at ctk.church.